Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Welcome to Nurses Out Loud. I am your host, Nurse April. I am actually recording this episode outside as I stare at the sea and enjoy nature all around me. I am going to talk to you guys about what is on all of our minds, I'm sure, and that is the current war between Israel and Hamas. We had an episode where the three of us, I, Jody, and Nurse Kimberly, talked about what was going on Friday. And I just wanted to continue because the war is still going on. It's heavy on my heart and I believe on everyone else's. And that's just something I can't stop thinking about and investigating and wanting to learn more. So I want to share a little bit about what I've learned so far. And also, my husband and I were having a conversation last night. And for the first time... It kind of hit me, you know, we're all talking about this intelligence failure, this massive intelligence failure that must have occurred with Israel. And a lot of us are wondering, was it intentional? Did they intentionally allow this attack to occur from Hamas and in order to be able to go into war? That's less of the question of whether they allowed it to happen, because I I, I believe that's pretty much what we all think. But... One thing I was wondering about last night is, is it possible that the reason is less nefarious than it appears? Is it possible that Israel intelligence was aware of this impending attack, but they were fed up and they knew that in order to address the issue with finality, they were going to have to let it play out. And I'll get into this a little more in detail and kind of give you some examples of how it makes sense in my head. And this is just my theory. I'd love to hear what your theories are. But um, again, this is Nurses Out Loud. I am your host, Nurse April, and we air Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with an encore at 11 p.m. All of our shows go to podcast a day after they air, so you can listen on any of your favorite podcasting apps if if you miss the show. You can go to americaoutloud.news to get links to all of the shows that air on America Out Loud. And you can also get access to the news. There's articles. If you go to americaoutloud.shop, you can actually see the coupons that are there. And there's discount codes that you can use to support our show's sponsors. So I want to start with a little bit of history. I'm sure a lot of you guys have done your research and are familiar with what's been going on. And so I am catching up on, you know, we all have been aware of this constant battle between the Palestinians and the Israelites, correct? But why? 
I actually have watched quite a few documentaries, long and short. I've listened to the argument from both the Palestinian side as well as the Israeli side. And I came across a very nice summary that I wanted to share with you from PragerU. And if you ever get a chance, if you haven't heard of PragerU, um, Dennis Prager has a platform where he invites guests to do these five minute videos. And in these videos, they summarize a variety of different topics. And so there was a topic that they covered about seven years ago about um, this very is issue. Uh, the question is, if Israel would just allow Palestinians a state of their own, would there be peace? And I just want to read to you one thing that stood out to me. Here is the summary, uh, the transcript from that episode. It says, if Israel just allowed the Palestinians to have a state of their own, there would be peace in the Middle East, right? That's what you hear from UN ambassadors, European diplomats, and most college professors. But what if I told you that Israel has already offered the Palestinians a state of their own, and not just once, but on five separate occasions? Don't believe me? Let's review the record. After the breakup of the Ottoman Empire following World War I, Britain took control of most of the Middle East, including the area that constitutes modern Israel. 17 years later, in 1936, the Arabs rebelled against the British and against their Jewish neighbors. The British formed a task force, the Peel Commission, to study the cause of the rebellion. The commission concluded that the reason for the violence was that two peoples, Jewish and Arabs, wanted to govern the same land. The answer, the Peel Commission concluded, would be to create two independent states, one for the Jews and one for the Arabs, a two-state solution. The suggested split was heavily in favor of the Arabs. The British offered them 80% of the disputed territory, the Jews the remaining 20%. Yet despite the tiny size of their proposed state, the Jews voted to accept this offer. But the Arabs rejected it and resumed their violent rebellion. Rejection number one. Ten years later, in 1947, the British asked the United Nations to find a new solution to the continuing tensions. Like the Peel Commission, the UN decided that the best way to resolve the conflict was to divide the land. On November 7, 1947, the UN voted to create two states. Again, the Jews accepted the offer. And again, the Arabs rejected it. Only this time, they did so by launching an all-out war. Rejection number two. Jordan, Egypt, Iraq, Lebanon, and Syria joined the conflict, but they failed. Israel won the war and got on with the business of building a nation. Most of the land set aside by the UN for an Arab state, the West Bank, and East Jerusalem became occupied territory, occupied not by Israel, but by Jordan. 20 years later in 1967, the Arabs led, this time by Egypt and joined by Syria and Jordan, 
once again sought to destroy the Jewish state. The 1967 conflict, known as the Six-Day War, ended in a stunning victory for Israel. Jerusalem and the West Bank, as well as the area known as the Gaza Strip, fell into Israel's hands. The government split over what to do with this new territory. Half wanted to return the West Bank to Jordan and Gaza to Egypt in exchange for peace. The other half wanted to give it to the region's Arabs who had begun referring to themselves as the Palestinians in the hope that they would ultimately build their own state there. Now this was in 1967, this is just me, I'm not reading anymore, but this is, if you think about this, the Palestinians began referring to themselves as Palestinians in 1967. Okay, now, back to the summary. So, neither initiative got very far. A few months later, the Arab League met in Sudan and issued its infamous three no's. No peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel. Again, a two-state solution was dismissed by the Arabs, making this rejection number three. In 2000, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak met at Camp David with Palestinian Liberation Organization Chairman Yasser Arafat to conclude a new two-state plan. Barak offered Arafat a Palestinian state in all of Gaza and 94% of the West Bank with East Jerusalem as its capital. But the Palestinian leader rejected the offer. In the words of U.S. President Bill Clinton, Arafat was here 14 days and said no to everything. Instead, the Palestinians launched a bloody wave of suicide bombings that killed over 1,000 Israelis and maimed thousands more on buses, in wedding halls, and in pizza parlors. Rejection number four. In 2008, Israel tried yet again. Prime Minister Ehud Omer went even further than Ehud Barak had, expanding the peace offer to include additional land to sweeten the deal. Like his predecessor, the new Palestinian leader, Mohammed Abbas, turned the deal down. Rejection number five. In between these last two Israeli offers, Israel unilaterally left Gaza, giving the Palestinians complete control there. Instead of developing this territory for the good of its citizens, the Palestinians turned Gaza into a terrorist base, from which they have fired thousands of rockets into Israel. Each time Israel has agreed to a Palestinian state, the Palestinians have rejected the offer, often violently. So, if you're interested in peace in the Middle East, Maybe the answer is not to pressure Israel to make yet another offer of a state to the Palestinians. Maybe the answer is to pressure the Palestinians to finally accept the existence of a Jewish state. Now, this was a great summary. It was uh, by David Brog, who is the executive director of the Maccabee Task Force for Prager University. And I will include a link to that in the show notes. I want you guys to think about that just because there is this constant banging of this drum saying that if we just allow Palestinians to have a state, there would be peace. And five rejections 
shows that that is not the answer that they're looking for. The answer that they have said, and, and we hear this all the time. When someone tells you who they are, believe them. They have said what they wanted, which is no more Israel. We as a globe have to decide where we stand on this issue. I know where I stand on this issue. I know where people around me stand on this issue. But what has been surprising, shocking to me, when you read the comment sections of these videos, or if you go online and you go to the social media and you read comment sections, or if you watch the news that's coming out from the universities, and you see what these uh, younger, this younger generation is saying, I'm shocked that so many people are in disagreement on whether or not Israel should be allowed to continue to exist. Not even, the question is, uh, it blows my mind. People would rather see Hamas successful in this attack and I don't know if they fully grasp what Hamas is saying, which is that they want to destroy Israel in its entirety. We have given aid to the Palestinians for many years. And what they've done with this money is not to promote the advancement of their society not to make sure that their citizens have all of the things that they need. What they've done with the money is they've used it to build up their arsenal to continue to attack the Israelites. The only reason why Israel even has the Iron Dome in place is because they're constantly being attacked with missiles coming over from Gaza or from their northern border. And they have to be able to protect themselves. So just imagine living in a situation where you're surrounded by enemies who want you dead. The question isn't whether or not Israel has the right to defend themselves, because absolutely they have the right to defend themselves. The question is, how do we as a society continue to survive if so many people believe that Israel doesn't have that right? Because it may start with Israel, but it's going to progress to other people, other nations, other groups, where this this mindset of you know us deciding who has a right to freedom and who doesn't is 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 proliferating, and especially with this younger generation, who will be taking over at some point, right? We, you know, I'm in my 40s and I'm looking at my children and I'm wanting to create a lasting legacy for them to then take up the mantle and continue on. I want them to have the freedom to enjoy this beautiful world that we live in. However, if they are living amongst peers who believe this way, who believe that Israel does not have the right to exist, um, I don't know what that means for their future. And so I had an opportunity to listen to an interview from one of the Hamas leaders. And he said two things that were significant. This Hamas official, and again, I'll have the link in the show notes, 
But this Hamas official said, we didn't kill any civilians. Let that sink in for a second. In his mind, he truly believes that Hamas has not killed any civilians. Here's what he said, and I'm quoting this. He says, no, this was, he was asked the question by the reporter. He says, no, we don't. We have not killed any civilians, but I have to say, I tell you as a well-respected journalist, uh, we have also to redefine what does it mean to be a civilian. I cannot consider a settler in the West and West Tank, who's stolen my hand-carrying guns, burning the city of Hara as a civilian. We cannot continue. Anyone who's sitting around the borders working on cybersecurity and artificial intelligence to control and besiege 2.3 million on the biggest open prison as a civilian. He said this, and then he went on, and the reporter pushed back and asked more questions. He asked him, has this appalling attack in southern Israel and so many deaths achieved for your organization? What has this achieved for your organization or the people of Gaza? And what he said in response was, a lot of what has it has achieved is, first of all, we've been nearly forgotten or neglected because of the conflict between America and China, between Ukraine and Russia. And our suffering for 75 years is becoming out of discussion. We have now hostages to negotiate the release of. So it sounds like he was upset that the attention, the world's attention had gone to what was going on in Ukraine. And I'm sure he was probably upset about how much money was going into funding this Ukraine war and not going into the Palestinians' pockets. And also he was upset because there's a lot of talk about what's going on between, you know, the U.S. and China. And, it, and, and in a way, I mean, to me, it sounded like a bratty child saying, no, we want the attention back on us because we've been suffering for 75 years and we need help. We want help. We deserve it. And we are going to do everything we can to make sure that we get it. So now we have hostages. Americans have been killed in this war. We have people all over the globe, not just Israelis, but we have people from Thailand and we had people from Germany and the UK and Britain, citizens of other nations. They didn't care. They took hostages, any hostages that they could. And a lot of us have seen the videos. I'm sure pretty much everyone listening has seen the videos. Whether or not every single video that's being put out there is true, every single image is true, I, I, am, I have become very careful in what I'm consuming. And I'm looking at certain things. And because I know that technology is such that we can actually have the most realistic video images and photo images, and now even the ability to you know, have audio that isn't real, I'm reluctant to believe everything that I see and hear. There have been pictures and images of burned babies, or they've talked a lot about these beheaded babies. I don't even need to know all of that or to see all of that to believe that what happened on October 7th, when they, uh, when they came in, when Hamas came in and attacked Israel. I don't need the addition of 
you know, this torture of babies to believe that Israel has the right to defend itself. It's not necessary. So that's an argument that I don't even, it's, it's not an argument that I entertain because it's not necessary. I saw what they did to adult citizens. And that is enough for me to say, yes, Israel absolutely has the right to defend themselves against Hamas. Israel has made it clear that they are not trying to attack the Palestinian people. As a matter of fact, what Israel is doing, as we all know, is that they warn the civilians to get out. They warn them before they send over missiles because they are trying to minimize the casualties of the Palestinian people. And I want the Palestinian people to know that we recognize that it is not you. It is those who are in leadership over you. And we recognize globally that it is often our corrupt leaders that we did not elect into these positions, but that they took because money is power. And we understand that. So people have taken these positions and roles of leadership despite whether or not we agree to put them in there. And they make decisions on our behalf, whether we support them or not. So I at least speak for myself when I say that I do not believe it is the Palestinian people who are looking to destroy the Israelis. I believe it is specifically Hamas, the terrorist group, and Hezbollah being funded by even bigger government organizations and wealthy people who are allowing these poor people to do the bidding for them. I came across a video and um, actually it was an interview with Patrick Bet David and he was interviewing Roseanne Barr and she made mention of what happens to people who get brought into these groups. And one of the things that she said was there is this, what they call pay to slay. So you have these very, very poor people who are suffering and who don't have opportunities to get out of their situation. And they're given an opportunity to number one, you know, they're fed propaganda to say, this is your enemy. The reason you're suffering is because of this person or that person. And then they wrap it up into this religious package and say that you are doing something to honor God if you go and you kill this person. And so they're convincing these people who are already in a bad situation where they're struggling to care for their families. And they're saying, we will pay you to destroy this person. And in this case, Israelis or Jewish people. And there are people, government funded organizations or non-government, they're NGOs, so non-government organizations who will pay them to kill Jewish people. So they have funds set up to take care of their families after they do these suicide bombings. So they're actually incentivized to kill Jewish people, to continue on with this hatred for this people. And I actually had a chance to listen to an interview from a former member of Hamas And he said something that was very interesting. He said, why is it? And he was making a plea to his his brothers and sisters and saying, because he's no longer in the group, but, you know, he's saying to the Palestinians and to those continuing to participate within the Hamas regime, why is it that the leaders 
are never at the front line? Why aren't they committing suicide? Why aren't their families at the head? Why aren't they suicide bombers? Why is it that the leaders have the money? They're living in Qatar. They're living good lives. And yet the people who are doing the work are the ones, they're the ones suffering. They're the ones giving up everything. And I thought that was a great question. Now on the other side of this break, I want to talk to you about what I posed in the beginning of the show, which is, was there an actual intelligence failure or did Israel intentionally allow this attack for a reason that is less nefarious than maybe we initially believed? So stay tuned and on the other side of this break, we'll talk about that. It's time and this is world. Hey everyone, Nurse Kimberly Overton here from Nurses Out Loud. Over time, our cell signaling molecules diminished, leaving us vulnerable to the wear and tear of life. With the Sea of Redox, you can restore and revitalize your body at the cellular level. This is an incredible product that I personally use and can attest to seeing fantastic results, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. ASEA supports your immune system, enhancing your body's natural ability to repair itself. It promotes overall well-being so that you can experience a new level of vitality and resilience. It's time to take control of your health and experience the power of ASEA. Visit our online store today at americaoutloud.shop and use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15%. Be sure to tune in to Nurses Out Loud Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula, with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Hey, welcome back to Nurses Out Loud. I am your host, Nurse April, and I am here today um, reporting actually from... I'm outside, you guys, so I'm sorry if the sound quality is not as good as it normally is, but I am celebrating my anniversary with my husband, and so I am outside staring at the ocean, and it's beautiful, and I'm grateful to God for this opportunity, but I still wanted to make sure to get the show out to you guys, so I apologize again for the sound, but before the break, I was talking about the situation between Israel and Hamas and the history which many of you are well aware of but just as um just as a summary let's go over all of the opportunities that were given to the palestinians and to hamas to create this two-state option because what we all want is peace we all want peace in the middle east they were given five opportunities for a two-state option, and they declined all of them because what they want is to destroy Israel. They do not want Israel to continue to exist. And that's not an option that the world is willing to give them. That's not an option on the table. And so since they don't want to just accept that Israel is a nation, they're not going anywhere. The question I posed to my husband last night was, is it possible that 
Israel, which has an incredible military. One of the things that younger people aren't aware of is that in Israel, everyone has to go to the military, men and women. Once they reach a certain age, they have this compelled um, situation. They have to go and they train. And it's important for them to do that because Israel is not a huge population. They don't have a huge population. So if they're going to defend themselves, everyone has to participate in this. And so they have a very, very strong military. They've always had strong fighting force. If you go all the way back to biblical times, you'll see that Israel has been fighting for their entire existence. And they've been good at defending themselves and preventing themselves from being completely wiped out. So they have the Iron Dome, which Americans do help fund. We as Americans do send over billions of dollars in aid every year to Israel to help them with their military protection. One thing I want to say about that is that I don't want people to forget. It's not that we are just sending this money over to them freely. The money goes into paying for weapons. And a lot of those companies providing them with those weapons happen to be American companies. So the money is actually circling back into our own economy. And that's one of the things that I think people forget about. You know, these companies are paying the salaries of Americans. And these are contracts, military contracts, and they're, they go out all over the place. But these contracts you know, this money is kind of circling back around. And, and and I'd be crazy to not even bring up the fact that not only are they circling back around to these big companies, but I'm sure they're circling back around into the pockets of these Congress people. If you look at their bank accounts, I think that they're getting this money from somewhere. I don't know, but I think that when they are creating these laws and these bills and putting these contracts in place, they're, getting, they're definitely getting kickbacks that they are not reporting to us, the American people. So you guys know how I feel about the government, not just our government, but most governments are very corrupt, very corrupt, full of corrupt people. But um, one thing I was thinking about last night was how I know I have known a few people who have had stalkers. And I don't know if you've ever known anybody who's had a stalker, but I've known at least three people, maybe more where they have been tortured by someone who just won't leave them alone. One in particular, I remember, she had someone coming to her house, like when she wasn't home. And the way that she knew that he had been there is he would write messages on her bathroom mirror. And no matter what happened, and this was going on for years, she would go to the police and the police would basically tell her, there's nothing that we can do for you because he hasn't done anything to you. And so I know another, a couple of friends who also have had a stalker who has been threatening them for years as well. And they have had the same situation. The police cannot do anything or they will not do anything until that person actually does something to them. I can understand why on one hand, but at the same time, if you're the person living with someone who has repeatedly made threats against you and your safety and you, against your family, you're constantly living in this state of fear 
and you feel like you've been betrayed by your government who's supposed to protect you. Our police force is there to protect us. And at the same time, they can't. Their hands are tied because I guess technically the person, until they actually commit a crime, cannot be accused of this crime. So I was thinking about this in relationship to Israel. Israel has been attacked with these missiles that have been coming over from the Gaza Strip for years. Hence why they have the Iron Dome constantly shooting down what they can. And then the missiles that come over that they don't think are going to do as much damage, they allow them to go ahead and detonate. But they try to shoot down as many as they can. If the Israeli intelligence force was aware of this massive planning situation that's been going on. I've heard reports where Hamas actually built a city to replicate that of a city in Israel so that they could practice what it would be like to go into these homes and to kill and how they were going to get past the gates and the fences and all these things. Like they have really put a lot of effort and energy into planning this attack. If Israel got wind of that and they were to, in advance, you know, go in and stop it before it happened, what would we as a global community have said if they decided to go in there with a great show of force and say, you know what, enough of this, enough of this? Because you've got to be honest. For people who are dealing with individuals who are hell-bent on terrorizing them, threatening them, threatening their lives, their safety, threatening their children and those that they love. Living in this constant state of fear has to be exhausting. And at some point, you're going to break. And I wonder sometimes, is it possible that they have they reached their breaking point? Knowing the amount of effort that went into the planning of this situation, had they intervened prior to allowing them to execute what they were going to do, would they have gotten the same amount of support from the global community when it comes to them making this call of war and saying that they, their plan is to eliminate the threat, which is Hamas? If they had interceded or intercepted this intelligence and before it happened, they said, you know what? We're going to eliminate the threat. We cannot allow them to continue on in existence because this right here that they're planning to do to us, this is too much. And if they would have went in and declared war before Hamas actually executed on this plan, would we as a global community have stood behind them or would we have thought they were insane? And would we have then pushed back on Israel for protecting themselves? Even though what they did, if they had intercepted and, uh, and not allowed this terror attack, but they knew it was coming, I think the rhetoric would be very, very different. I think most people would be saying, yeah, but they didn't. They didn't do anything to deserve this. Yeah, they were planning, but they didn't execute. How do you know for sure that they were going to do it? You know, there would be all of these excuses. So rather than give Hamas 
and Hezbollah, who a lot of people believe are going to are threatening attacks as well, um, rather than allow them to continue on their planning and um, they're, they're obviously getting funded from major governments all over who hate Israel, they decided that they, were ha- they had had enough. And unfortunately, they had to accept these civilian casualties in order to show the world the face of evil. Because now that we've seen what they did, most people that I talk to actually are in support of Israel's right to defend themselves. Most people, especially knowing that they have captured prisoners of war that are not just Israeli, but we have Americans that are currently being held and we have you know we have those who are the thai the thai people have prisoners of war the british people the uk we have different cultures that are all being held and so now you've really drawn in all these other governments who are going to want to you know the canadians i mean they all are going to want to protect their people and so you've drawn us all into the situation And I know today there was a report from Iraq that is saying that if Israel goes into, does their ground offensive into the Gaza Strip, there was going to be this earthquake, I quote. So Iraq is now threatening to get involved. The U.S. is sending over warships. And the U.S. US is backing Israel. Um, Egypt is not getting involved. And what's interesting that I at least find interesting is that not very many, I haven't actually heard anyone really, really push to question why is it knowing that Israel has given the warnings to the Palestinians to leave the north and go south. They're telling them now, get out, because we're coming in there and we're we're trying to avoid as many civilian casualties as possible. So leave now. You have 24 hours to get out. The people are saying, we have nowhere to go. And it it is true, actually, because they can't just go into the Israeli side of the border. So that border is closed. Although I, I did hear a report that they did open up two spots for them to go through, but primarily that border is closed to them. So they really only have one option and that is to go to the Egyptian border. And yet Egypt is saying, no, you can't come here. So it's very, very curious to me that no one is asking Egypt, why aren't you allowing the Palestinians to come in? And why aren't you opening your borders to these refugees? And it's really strange to me because, you know, all of these people have been in such support of America opening its borders to refugees. Open your borders. These people are looking for a place uh, to be safe. They're leaving their countries, even though our border, our southern border, has been very porous and has been open to people from all over the world to come in seeking asylum. Why is it that is why is it that we are not holding Egypt to that same standard, which is to just open your borders? 
European countries have been opening their borders. A lot of the Ukrainian refugees went over into European countries. Um, and a lot of the refugees coming from Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran who are seeking that political asylum, they have gone into these European countries and into American countries. So we're always expected to welcome refugees. And yet for some reason, Egypt is saying no. So I don't know where these Palestinians are supposed to go. I do feel compassion for them because, again, I know what it's like to live in under a government that you don't agree with and yet have to deal with the ramifications of decisions that they've made. They are innocent. Many of the Palestinians are innocent, not all of them. Because at the same time, if you as a Palestinian are harboring terrorists, or you are fully aware that they are living amongst you, they are living in the apartments, they are housing themselves in the schools and in the hospitals, and you're not doing anything about it, in that way, it shows you are supporting them. I'm curious, and I don't know what the answer is, but there's got to be a place for these people to go. How do you vet them? How do you know whether or not when you open your borders, you're allowing terrorists in? We all just want peace. We all want safety. It doesn't look like we're going to get it anytime soon. And that is unfortunate. And the more this attack gets, or the more people that die in this attack, and the more fierce the fighting becomes, the more chance that we are going to turn into this, this event is going to turn into a massive, colossal, terrible failure for, for many, many countries around the globe. We talk about this a lot, but the reality is World War Three seems imminent and no one wants that and yet some people seem to be so thirsty for it those who seem to be profiteering from it like the defense industry like our politicians like idiots like lindsey graham who are really really you know it's funny he has he's so bold in the statements that he makes he's so bold in his statements and yet he would be the last one on the front lines he has no children to send to the front lines. He's not going to the front lines. So he wants to send my children and your children to the front lines to fight while he stays back and does what? Continues to run his mouth? We as America have to stand up, right? We have to be strong. But do we have to be the police of the entire globe? At some point, people have to stand up and police themselves. One of the reasons, and I tell this to my children, one of the reasons America is in the position that we are in is because we've made sacrifices and we've lost so many lives fighting for our freedom. And when we have people who are coming over the border seeking political asylum because they're living in situations that are unsafe, because they are being governed by you know, um, terrorist organizations or drug cartels and things like that, they want to come to America because they want to be able to be free and live a good life. But my question is this, why don't you fight 
fight back. Stay in your in your land. Stay amongst your people. Come together and push back against those who are creating all of the problems, all of the drama, all of the issues. When do the people stand up for themselves and say no more? Rather than run, stand and fight. And I was talking to my daughter about this and she just says, you know, it's easy for you to say that because you're not in that situation. We live in a, in a country right now that is free where we aren't dealing with fighting and wars and we aren't dealing with the, you know, the, the real realization that at any moment we could be shot and killed for speaking out. And that's so true. I, I completely recognize that I am speaking from a position of privilege in that. Even as I sit here and record this episode and I'm looking at the water and I'm blessed I am. I'm completely blessed. But I also recognize and I appreciate the sacrifices that were made before I came so that I could live this life that I'm living right now. I don't take those for granted. You will never hear me talk about colonizers. You will not hear that word come out of my mouth because I don't believe in that, that, that mode or that line of thinking. My people which my heritage is rich, but it's multicultural, have all made sacrifices to give me this opportunity. And they didn't make those sacrifices so that I could sit here and complain about other people having a better life than I do. They made those sacrifices so that I could use my gifts and talents to continue to grow and push forward and to create a legacy. And I think that more people need to change their mindset. I'm talking to my children about what's happening right now between Israel and Hamas and the Palestinians. And what I'm finding is it is very easy for this younger generation to be manipulated into taking on the ideas of the woke mob because they present these ideas in such a way that they sound so empathetic and so caring. And they leave out a lot of the important details like who's at fault and they say oh it's not fair they live in this big open air prison and all these things but at the same time they forget that these people could stand up for themselves they could push back they could say we will not allow hamas to continue to reign free in our in our nation we don't agree with what they're saying. This goes against our religious beliefs because when we talk about this and we talk about it from a religious standpoint, and I talk to Muslims who say, that's not what we believe. We don't believe in these things that they're doing, like the suicide bombing and these, you know, this idea of eradicating Israel from the globe. They don't believe in that, you know, we talked about it on Friday, but one of the former leaders of Hamas called for uh, a jihad on October 13th. And so he was really asking that all of the Muslim Brotherhood come together and have this global jihad on, the, on, that, on Friday that just passed. And so I was interested to see what kind of support they would get because to me, 
if Hamas, which is a small group of extremists within this religion, if they really had a strong footing, and if the people who are of Muslim faith really believed in their cause, then they would stand up and they would do what he called for, which was this jihad on Friday. And they actually didn't. There was a few situations here and there, not very many. It was like from the reports that I got, less than a handful of um, attacks occurred. But for the most part, when you think about how many people of Muslim faith there are in the world, it was like they heard his call for a jihad and they said, no, we're not doing that. That spoke volumes to me. That to me said, we don't support what you're doing. So we know that someone's supporting and funding Hamas. We know that more than likely it is the money coming from a few governments and elite people, you know, who are giving this money to them to keep funding their organization. But it doesn't seem like the vast majority of people within the Muslim faith support what they're doing. And I am I'm grateful to see that. But it's important as as a parent. If you have children, right now is the time to really, really spend time educating them about the history between Israel and Palestine and educating them about what's going on and really understanding what's in their head. What are they hearing? What are the messages that they're receiving from social media, from their teachers, from their professors? We need to know because we need to combat the disinformation that they're getting because if everyone just takes hold of their sphere of influence. For me, I have six children. Five of my children I can still communicate with and try to share my values with and try to understand what they're being fed and try to correct the, the mistakes. And if I stay on them, then hopefully they can take that information and then share it within their sphere of influence. And that is how we fix this problem. But if we don't, as parents, get in there and really, really pour into our children this message that Israel has a right to exist and that what happened with this conflict wasn't okay, that Hamas had no right whether they were upset because they feel like they're living in this prison and that they feel like Israel has taken their land and they, they deserve to have the attention back on them. Like the way they went about it was wrong. It was evil and it has to be punished. Before all this started, I remember I was learning about Israel's military. And one of the things that a commenter said was that Israel's military is one of the strongest in the world. Unlike America's military, where if you have an American hostage, so America's policy is that they will not negotiate with terrorists. So when Americans are held hostage, they aren't going to, they're not supposed to at least give them money because then that would encourage more people to kidnap Americans in exchange for money. So we don't want to encourage that kind of behavior. It's different for Israelis. So in Israel, their military, if you kill one Jew, they'll kill a thousand of your people. 
And the reason is because they want to put the fear of God in people. So they don't even consider it. They don't even want people to consider coming after the Jewish people because they are a small people. And, and so, you know, they have a very, very strong intelligence. Um, and they have a very, very strong military. And so the fact that this happened again, you know, I believe truly that it was intentional, as with most people. Most people believe it was an intentional lapse. They allowed them to come in and do what they had to do. But again, I think it was because Israel wanted the world to see what Hamas was capable of doing because they had to have a reason to finally say enough. We are going to eliminate this threat. This is not going to happen to us anymore. We cannot continue to live in a state of fear. And I think that's fair. It sucks, right? No one wants to be a casualty in this battle. But at the same time, enough is enough already. People often say, oh, well, you can't say that's Israel's land. It wasn't Israel's land until this date and this time. And for those who don't believe in God and who don't believe that the Bible is an actual historical document, they think that it's make-believe, and so they don't, they don't trust the information that comes from it. So for me, I believe that God gave the land to Israel because I believe in the Bible, and I believe it's true, and I believe it's historical. But even if I didn't believe that, if you look at, if you were to go to a museum, and if you were to look at archaeological digs, and what they found. They found, they have found letters and documents. They have found items from Israelis for thousands of years in that land. What they haven't found, they haven't found ancient signs of the Palestinians having lived in that land. So consider that. If you don't believe the Bible to be true, that's fine. That's not going to be your source of history. But look at the evidence. And when you're digging through layers and layers of earth, and you're consistently finding evidence of a people that has been there for hundreds, thousands of years, then you have to be able to stop and say, the truth is, Israel, this is their land. This has been their land for a long time. In addition, I want to make a comment about how all land at some point exchanges hands. We as humans are constantly looking on the other side, looking at our neighbors and what they have and saying, I want that. I'm not happy with what I have. I want more. So there's always this battle of taking over what belongs to someone else's. We currently live in the United States, but the United States was taken from another nation of people. And at some point, that nation of people may have taken it from another nation of people. This is going, this is since the beginning of time. Land wars will always occur. And they are gonna continue to occur even now when you look at what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, or you look at what's happening with China or, um, with the U.S., like we are looking to take other people's land from them because they have resources that we want. 
We want to dominate. We want to have power. We want to have influence and we want to reign. Everyone is looking to be the next world leader. So to continue to fight over the past, this was mine and I want it back. It's futile. Land will always continue to be taken and move hands. It's going to be ours at this point and at some point it may belong to someone else. If you look at it, how much of our land is actually owned by Chinese investors? Our land may be taken from us, not by war, but financially they paid, they paid for it. You know, a lot of our mortgages are held and backed by investors that come from other countries. So technically when, and you know, if we default on our loans, who owns this land? Who owns it? It's not us, right? We sold it. So even though this is our land right now, it doesn't mean it will always be our land. But you've got to keep looking forward. You've got to keep moving forward. You've got to stop looking in the past because it's this constant looking backwards and saying, well, this shouldn't have happened and this wasn't fair. No, 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 no. That's not going to get us anywhere. That's not going to help us advance our goals. We all want peace. We all want to just live our lives and enjoy the earth that God gave us. Let's focus on how we can bring about the state of peace. And it's not by calling for a ceasefire. Israel has a right to defend themselves. They have a right to get back their prisoners of war and they have a right to fight back. But when it's all said and done, we as a globe, we need to start looking at how do we live in peace with one another. And maybe a part of that is to stop feeding this monster of consumerism. If we stop buying, buying, wanting more, you know, gathering up our treasures here on earth. And if we start focusing on gathering up our treasures in heaven, then maybe one day we will see peace. This is Nurses Out Loud. I'm your host, Nurse April, and my goal here is to shine the light on the darkness. It's time.